Well, let's turn to Matthew 23. The next sermon we do out of this will be in the morning service from verse 37 and 39. And uh, so if next week we skip to chapter 24, you'll understand that the other bit's going to be preached in the morning service. Probably there's a few favourite sermons I have, and that's there one of them, 37 to 39. I come across a little brief skeleton outline of it, and then I just added to it, and it just <laughs> and preached, preached it many years ago here. And um, be look, looking at that. I remember when I first came here, Pastor Goff said, you can do the adult class. What book would you like to study, you know, to, pre to minister? Was it the other church, the little one we rented around there? <clears throat> I said, I'd love to do Ezekiel. He said, what? <laughs> because I love chapter 37, 38 and 39. <laughs> but it took years to get to there. And um, I'm not preaching Matthew because I like <laughs> verse 37 of 23. The, the, the whole book is going through a second time. I've, um, it's been a real blessing to me to study it deeper than the first time round some years ago, or many years ago, when we did it for the first time. And um, just your yeah, understanding of Scripture and more, more gets added to it. <clears throat> I can appreciate those fellows that lived in the Old Testament to 900 years. They didn't have the word of God, but their understanding and knowledge and experience with God just grew, grew, grew. And so you could go to them, ask them about questions and save yourself a lot of problems. <laughs> if they were 300 years old, you know, what did you do when you were 50 or whatever? And what, what, when you faced this situation? But it didn't seem like a, lot of whole, a whole lot of people listened to them, does it? Does it? Because... Look where the world went. In 1,600 years, it was down the drain. It um, <clears throat> had faltered and failed there. Hello, Tony. <laughs> He's going to back me up. <laughs> Matthew 23. We're looking at the woes upon the Pharisees. And I think it's very instructive that we listen to the woes. Because... As the religious leaders went then, you know, they'd, they'd gone into captivity about 586 BC, 586 years before Christ. They'd been there 70 years, 50,000 of them come back from Babylon. Ezra, Nehemiah, that time there, and bringing them back. Zerubbabel, those chaps. There was a few stalwarts of the faith. Daniel had been up there ruling with them he, he stayed on and went into the Medo-Persian empire that took over Babylon fancy fancy being a believer in a situation in a strange and foreign land in the leadership another country and comes and invades you and to stay in the leadership what a testimony Daniel had they had heard outside of the Babylonian empire the Medes and Persians had heard about Daniel and they'd probably heard that he'd prophesied they were coming. <laughs> and uh, they preserved him into the, into the new leadership. The people, the people didn't, the other leaders didn't, some of them didn't appreciate it, try to feed him. 
as meat to the lions, but um, he survived. And <clears throat> he had these wonderful truths that he could preach and teach. These people come back 70 years or 586 BC, you come into almost 500 BC. In 500 years from there, they had a new start. Idolatry had got out of the, the veins of their blood. That's why they'd gone into captivity to learn them not to worship idols and things of the nations about them. And they started putting <coughs> together the book, the scribes, the uh, the not not the Torah. That was the law. They started to put together the Talmud. And then they started adding to the Talmud. They started adding. For 400, 500 years they added and added to what the, the, they originally started with good intention. They built synagogues. And um, <clears throat> by the time that Christ had come, they had corrupted themselves terribly. They'd just been in captivity for doing this. Didn't they learn the lesson? The church has been going for 2,000 years we should learn the lesson from all these Old Testament examples that are written for our learning. And here we have some examples that are written for our learning. The Lord Jesus is saying, woe, 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 eight times. Let's learn from them. Not just say, oh, what was for them, that they did that. But yes, the same characteristics and traits can come into the church and have come into the church. And so let's learn these. The first woe. The hypocrisy of their preaching. The second woe was the hypocrisy of their prayers. The third woe was the hypocrisy of their proselytes. The fourth woe, we've looked at these already, the hypocrisy of their precepts. There, they're fully expressed, they're fully exposed. And then we come to the fifth woe, and we looked at what the leaders displayed. A show of religion in the fifth woe. The sixth woe was a show of respectability. In verses 23, 25 to 26. And then the sixth woe, a show of respectability. <laughs> Outward conformity, inward corrupt, inwardly corrupt. Careful about appearances, but not about attitudes. God wants a change of the heart. And then we come now, or we come now tonight to the seventh woe, a show of righteousness. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we have these to learn from. And Lord, how subtle sin is. How subtly it can creep into our lives, into our ministry, into our church. And we can be condemned the same as these religious people. They thought they were so right, yet they were so off the mark and so wrong. That you had to condemn them severely and very strongly. In the words tonight we see how severe and strong you were upon them in, their woe, in these woes. Lord, I pray if there be some traits of these things in our lives or in our church that we would be aware of them, repent and turn back in simple faith to you. I ask your blessing as we study this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 27, <clears throat> they had a show of righteousness. 27 and 28 read, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's moans, bones and, and all uncleanliness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. 
Now, they didn't recognize that Jesus was God, but he was. <laughs> this was a condemnation from the Creator to them. <clears throat> These were grave diggers, weren't they? <laughs> well, well, they appeared to be, they're not grave diggers, they were like a grave, if we could call it that. <laughs> yeah, whited sepulchres, outward beautiful. Hypocrites, inward dead of dead men's moans and rottenness. You don't go digging up graves. Who, who does exhume people that have been put in graves? Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. And <clears throat> that's all. I was expecting the other answer first, <laughs> policemen. But in, 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 in Egypt, why would you dig up a grave or a tomb? Gold. <laughs> things they got buried with for the afterlife and some tombs have not been and when they find a tomb today that hasn't been interfered and there are still some over there in Egypt when they find it if you've seen any of the documentaries on Egypt and um, the, they come across untold treasures in those places but they've already been robbed it's, you, you don't go in there for a, but for a good reason now in those places they're empty we, ours is in the ground <laughs> as it is in, in our country, but there they were specially dug out and, and embalmed and entombed in those places. But going in where these are, and have you seen the mummies that have come out of them graves? There's, there's thousands of them, and they've exported them before they put restrictions on Egypt to export them. They were in England, and they were in America, and they got these, these, and they unwrapped them, and then they'd start looking at their body or their trying to preserve them now and x-ray through the wrappings to get what they look like inside what did they die of was it a you know was it a, a a tool that killed them was it a disease that killed them and they can look at the bones and the joints and they're doing all these sorts of things about the diseases back then interesting but you don't go into these places without a good reason i mean who who would do that but these people are likened to that that they're likened to this open sepulchre open grave and think of the disciples reaction when the Lord Jesus spoke to these high and mighty people religious leaders of his day the disciples were scared of these religious people until Pentecost they were afraid of them the reaction is of Peter and John and the other disciples when they captured the Lord Jesus they all fled let them go, said the Lord, asked, requested the Lord. And, but Peter and John stayed within earshot. <clears throat> but they were afraid. And, and the disciples, Lord, just cool, cool down. <laughs> Don't be so hot on them. Don't do that to them. You know the position of power they have. But we have to recognize that the Lord Jesus has all power and all authority that's sometimes hard for us to recognize when we're fronted with people who, who who oppose the truth think of the people's reaction as the lord spoke these things in public they knew these leaders were pretentious but never had heard someone able and bold enough to put so succinctly and bluntly and boldly the truth to them publicly 
you know, <clears throat> some people are good at putting words together on the spot. The Lord was expert. <laughs> he was God. To be able to put the right sayings, the right words in the public, peep, as they were listening, yes, someone's confronting them at last. <clears throat> Think of the Pharisees' reaction. So you have the disciples, the people's reaction. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees' reaction. Nobody ever said this to them like this. Nobody ever publicly stood up to them and fronted them. They were stunned and shocked, you know, they were set back on their heels. They were silenced. No man dare ask him another question. We've already looked at that. Inside they were seething. They were stabbed to the heart. They were thoroughly exposed and that publicly. Will they repent and get right? No. Folks, the church that is in the world today is heading toward a one world church. They're heading to that point. They're not going to change. You know, some people, I'm going to just stay in it and I'll preserve it from inside. Come out from among them, said the Lord. You can't change it from within. It gets to a tipping point, doesn't it, when a church goes the wrong direction that we got to remove ourselves. And I hear the heart cry of people that have been in a church all their life and it gets to the, in a, a church where at that tipping point that they won't listen to truth anymore, they won't teach sound doctrine anymore, they go with the flow, they go with what's happening in the, in the world. And they say, well, we've been in here, our, the, our fathers and our grandfathers was in this church. How many times have I heard that? Over and over again. And they will, will fail to get out. They need to get out because the, the majority of the people have gone that way. It's sad, but that's the way it is. And they'll say, but we, we built the building, we put our money, our grandparents put our money into this. You know, and, and that's a concern. I know each generation is responsible to God for what they do with the soundness of the church. And, you know, if you think as a pastor, you think, we could build a new building and put all that money into it. And the next generation could just take it right back or right away to where the liberals are today. And you think all that hard work, all that effort, all that saving, you think, wow. And, and, and a new thing can take people to think that way. You know, they, as, as was said at one of our business meetings, if you build a new church, you'll get people coming. Uh, they're coming for the building or they're coming for the truth of what's taught in the building. That's the point. <laughs> So you, we have, we'd have to be careful if we did. I'm not saying we're not going to, but we have to be careful not to put all that effort in and all that money and all that time and then to have it slide away because that we're living in the day of apostasy and we have to stand on the truth of God's word and the right doctrine. And it's so important. Doct doctrine does matter. Pastor Nigel Davies was here about two anniversaries ago, I think it was. And he, he made that statement, and some people got pretty offended at it. The doctrine divides, he made that statement. Does it? It does. Yeah, and I agreed. Yes, it does. Doctrine will divide, because how can two walk together except they be agreed in the word of God and in the truth of the word of God? Are you willing to stand there as the Lord stood there before all these people that were so pious so exalted 
and say, this is what God said, and this is what I believe. It's hard, but it's necessary, folks, to stand by the truth. God will reward you and each generation for what they do or what they don't do. <laughs> There's good and bad reward, we might say. Um, <clears throat> so the Pharisees were very, very uptight and upset. Will they repent? No. They want revenge. And in that day, their system, their belief, as the Lord Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And uh, then the disciples talked about the buildings. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's all going to get destroyed soon. Just been built. Herod just finished it. And <laughs> 70 AD, flattened. Gone. The religion gone. Jews scattered everywhere. <clears throat> because they didn't repent. I wonder what would have happened. Only the Lord knows what would have happened if they turned back to truth. If they'd humbled themselves when the Lord said this to them. And he cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and kill the prophets. And, and verse that, that if they'd only turned to the Lord. The verse, there's two verses. Even so, ye are outward, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men. Isn't that a danger we have today? Isn't that a danger in the independent churches that we can appear righteous to men? Well, I suppose in any, even a liberal church, they can appear righteous to men. How, how would an unsafe person coming into a mainline church, let's say uh, the High Church of England, if you went in there, an unsafe person, and looked, what would you think? <laughs> but no, you're thinking like a non-Christian now. <laughs> wow. Look at the form. Look at the ceremony. Look at they must know what they're talking about. Look at all the things they've got going here. Got smoke and fire and holy water. Must be right. You know, most people think like that. This church must be right. How could I argue against that? But they can appear righteous outwardly. Let's look at that thought for a while. Go to Romans chapter 9, and this is where it's really dealt with this thing about righteousness. How do, how do we get righteous? How do we have a right standing before God? Is it by works? No. Is it by looks? Is it by ceremony? No. No. <laughs> Not at all. Chapter 9 and verse 30 and 31 of Romans. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness. Praise the Lord even to the righteousness which is by faith. That's how we attain to righteousness, by faith. But Israel, and it's talking right back to the situation we're in in Matthew, who followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Though they tried so hard and had so many ceremonies and had the Talmud that they'd put together with all the additions to, to live a uh, a life and how many steps to take on Saturday and, and, and how much you know, tithing to, of common that we looked at last week, all these things. They sought it not by what? Faith. That is the problem. They didn't seek righteousness by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. That is the problem of religions everywhere. <laughs> works righteousness. 
You say, we haven't got that. I say, start thinking about it. <laughs> Make sure we haven't. Let's not think we're okay. Let's examine ourselves. Paul said to do that, whether we be in the faith that brings righteousness. Let's really examine ourselves in the day when everything's sliding, everything's changing, and, and you know, it's on a slippery slope toward the one world church. Let's make sure we're not part of it. Do you ever start comparing yourselves with other people because you're doing something they're not? Be careful, that's works, isn't it? Now, I know uh, as Christians, that, that, that's a different thing, but to become a Christian, you know, comparing, us with, comparing ourselves with other denominations or, or religions, is it the works we're comparing or is it the faith? Because faith righteousness is what saves, not works righteousness. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, the Lord Jesus. <laughs> And faith in his finished work, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offence, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. It's believing by faith on the finished work of him that we become righteous. And we go on to chapter 10 of Romans. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. <clears throat> what chapters in Romans deal with Israel? You can go back to chapter 9 and it said, it says there in verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness, the Holy Ghost, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For who did he have this? In verse 3, my brethren, my kinsmen. He's talking about Jews. He's, he's talking about Israel then. He's talking about Israel in chapter 10 and chapter 11. Understand that because when you get to verse 14 of chapter 9 of Romans, you could almost say like God God elects people to go to hell you read it I've chosen one and above the other and I made him to fit for the fuel flames of hell but understand it's written to Israel this is about Israel and you get your doctrine all mixed up if you don't especially when you're challenged by a, a Calvinist that's where they'll go they'll go to verse 14 and following of Romans 9 but here we're speaking, yes, about Israel, and Paul is using this to compare with the Gentiles that believe by faith and Israel that did it by works, works righteousness. They have a zeal for God. Do, well, we've mentioned it before. Does Israel still have a zeal for God? Well, 20% of, of Israel does, the Orthodox. They'd show us up in works. They'll, they've got big floodlights there all night at the Wailing Wall, and they're out there praying. And they've got them going full time, all time. <laughs> and they put us to shame in their religious zeal. They go about to establish their own righteousness. What's, what's another word for own righteousness? Self-righteousness. Where do I hear that? Self-righteousness. And have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone that what? Believeth. We looked at that. Come unto me. This morning. Did you get the drift this morning? I was having a go at the Calvinist. I didn't mention the name, I don't think, did I? <laughs> but hey, where would you go if you were, you know, said, We are elected, chosen, predestinated, and all that? Where would you go to say that 
Oh, oh, wait a minute. Did God elect some to go to hell? How can you make an offer of come? Whosoever, if you're limited, limited atonement. That's what they believe in. Christ only died for the elect. Did you get about five or six verses this morning that were mentioned that it's not so? Christ died for all men. His blood covered all sins of all people, even the enemies of the cross. He died for them as well. We mentioned those verses this morning. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And who can believe? How many people could believe? All. Whosoever. And use the, those words are important. And little words they be, but they are important. For Moses describeth the, right, describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man who doeth those things shall live by them. In other words, you've got to keep every one of them to be righteous. And who was the only person that ever was able to keep all the law and not sin at all? Jesus Christ. One. One person. That's why he could die in our stead and we have faith in him and we're given righteousness. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend. And he read, we read on then, but go down to verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. What does it say? Thou shalt be saved. <laughs> For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. What sort of righteousness do you have? Self-righteousness of the Pharisees that the Lord was absolutely condemning them, likening them to a, a dead men's bones and rottenness, or do we have right the righteousness of Christ by believing on him? People complicate the gospel. Religion complicates it all, but Christ makes it very simple and very plain. If we went to verse uh, chapter 4 of Romans and verse 3 and 8 of R Romans again and Paul deals with this you see he's dealing with he's dealing with the Jewish people and showing them that their righteousness what they thought was righteous before God was not righteousness <clears throat> they had not attained to it they couldn't they couldn't and no one can the law is our schoolmaster to show us how wrong we are <laughs> to bring us to righteousness in Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham, and I say, and ask you, I've asked you this before, when did Abraham live? Before the law was given or after the law was given? Before. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down to Israel for four, I mean to Egypt for 430 years. Out of Israel, then they got the law. So he's hundreds of years before the law. <coughs> Abraham believed God and it was what? Counted to him. It was reckoned to him. It was imputed to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. And God is not going to be our debtor. If we work our way to heaven, God is in debt to us and he's not going to be indebted to us. He can't be. But to him that worketh not but believeth it keeps on coming up, doesn't it? On him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imp 
imputeth righteousness without works. Can you get any plainer? Talk, read it slowly. Think about it. God imparts, inputs. It's like he puts into our bank account, our spiritual bank account, righteousness without us working at all because we but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Been challenged pretty strongly lately about this. <clears throat> Do we just believe to get into heaven? Or must we repent as well? What does the Bible say? Because many times it talks about believing and leaves it at that. Other times it just talks about repenting and people get saved through the book of Acts. But there are about five verses that said faith and repentance. That's the right combination. So if you have easy believism, I just believe, and don't change, are you saved? And uh, we can repent in, and, and, and be sorry that we've been caught. Oh, I was exposed as a sinner. But don't, and, and there's a combination of both. And we need to repent. <laughs> Likewise, how does it put it? He commandeth all men everywhere to what? Repent. And that's a complete change and turn the other way. And for believing that, we, we're branded. <laughs> we're branded as, uh, we, well, you're talking about works. No, we're not. <laughs> Repentance is not a work. <laughs> Repentance is believing what God has said about us, how bad we are, and turn and go that way. And, and I think that because repentance has not been taught, has not been preached, and the, the, the pulpits are not saying this anymore, that we have a generation of people who think they're going to heaven and are not. We have a liberal look at it, we, we easy believism. And there's a combination. We must put all the scriptures in the mix to come up with the right combination. Jesus said, no, the scriptures say comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Scripture with scripture. And bring out all of it. Not just some of what pleases me. <laughs> I mean you or me. So righteousness is imputed. Righteousness is, a, is given to us when we believe and turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. And I didn't plan to preach on that, but that come up in looking at this. The righteousness which is of God by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference between Jew or Greek. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if in the shedding of Christ's blood, how many sins could be forgiven with what Christ did. Every person from Adam to the last person that lives, they all could be saved. It's not limited atonement. Tulip, T-U-L, stands for limited atonement. All can be saved. Important to know that and understand and fight for it, stand for it. <laughs> because that, along with Reformed theology, that's part of the deal and it's everywhere. And it's increasingly so, dangerously so. Uh, it's God's sovereign, yes. But does God, you see, if you, if you go off on that, God is sovereign, therefore 
he'll only he'll only save the elect and oh, I just <laughs> it's if if you emphasize that well you can say that everyone has to get saved because God's sovereign and if you use other scripture and say well he's not going to have anyone he doesn't want anyone to perish then everyone would get saved if he's sovereign in that sense and we don't have a free will you you, you get all you get really confused on that one <laughs> easily well what the leaders devised in verse 29 and th through to 36 their foolish mistake is seen there <coughs> back in in Matthew the last woe Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. Who's ever been in a grave, a graveyard that's an older graveyard? And, and, and into ones where they've got it sectioned off in different denominations. And, and which one do you see like a building <laughs> over a tomb? What, what usually? The Greek and the Greek Orthodox? The Roman Catholic? Yep. They garnish the, the, the tombs of uh, um, the Pharisees do this, of the prophets. If you go to Israel, go to Jerusalem, go down the south of the old city and you've got David's tomb there. They garnish the tombs, they still do it. And then you've got Solomon's thing down in the Kidron. And there's a special little building down in there. And they've got all these places. It's, we don't think of that here. We have grave sites and, and different places like that. But <clears throat> they build the tombs of the prophets, garnish the sepulchres of the, right, of the righteous, and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we'd not have partaken with them of the blood of the prophets. <clears throat> they adorned and adored the prophets' tombs. It was their pride, not repentance, that moved them to garnish these sepulchres, it was pride. Their attitude would bring about some, the same action as their fathers. Fathers, They were murderers. For, Jesus said, Wherefore ye are witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them that killed the prophets. We're living in a day which soon, well, let's say it may be happening today, but in the tribulation it will happen where they kill a person under the religious system and they'll say they have done righteously that's where it's headed that's where the system of religion's headed let's be aware of it not blind to that fact and be careful where we tread and where we go and uh, they killed the prophets and think they did the will of God these they were witnesses against themselves that's what Jesus was saying about them you're murderers they were going to murder Christ the King, actually. So <clears throat> their foolish mistake, they practiced adorning and garnishing the tombstones. What they professed in verse 30, what did they think of themselves? Well, <clears throat> we've already looked at that. <laughs> they accused others, but they were going to accuse themselves. What they proved in verse 31, their fathers had martyred God's saints they would murder the Son of God, which is worse. Hmm. Both, is, both are bad, but their, their actions would be worse. The Lord Jesus knew what they were going to do to him. So <clears throat> they'd, their fathers had martyred God's saints, 
And they garnished the tombs, but they were going to murder the son and put him in a tomb as well. Let's take a little look at some of these things they did. Hebrew, well, yeah, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Hebrews 11, 32. We know they're going to kill multitudes because they're in Revelation 17. Blood is brought upon them because they can drink blood. The Lord turns the sea into blood, the rivers into blood, because you've said, shed so much blood. Have blood to drink, the Lord said. Hebrews 11:32. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the arm armies of the aliens and and on and on it reads they are not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection martyrdom and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings at the hand of whom often their own brethren moreover yea of bonds and imprisonments they were stoned they were sawn asunder they were tempted think of what they did to the prophets and here they, they murdered them and then they were garnishing their tombs. But Jesus said, you're going to murder someone else and it's going to be me. They murdered a man who got up and preached in Acts chapter 7, if you turn there. Well, let's, who was it in Acts chapter 7 that they murdered? Stephen. They, he, as he called upon the Lord and he preached a good sermon and they got convicted. Let's not listen to this man, let's stone him. They were guilty not only of killing the Son of God, they were killing the servants of God then to follow on. And as in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Some men are bold, aren't they? <laughs> Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and have slain them who showed before the coming of the just one, the Lord Jesus? of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. What should have they done? Cut to the heart and repented. But they gnashed on Stephen with their teeth. And being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open." And the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And that just infuriated them more. And they threw the rocks harder. And they said, uh, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They want, didn't want to hear this anymore. And run upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witness, the witnesses laid down at their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Hmm. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God. You see what the Lord Jesus said, you are witnesses against yourself back in Matthew you are just like your fathers you are going to kill the servants coming and so their full measure back there in Rome, in Matthew Matthew 23:33 ye serpents ye generation of vipers uh, it's like Stephen and the apostles and those following were thrown into the pit of vipers how can ye escape the damnation of hell <clears throat> I don't know that any of us have ever said that to somebody. But their full measure has come. 
The Lord described them as serpents and vipers. Children of the devil himself. The devil was a, a liar, but also a murderer. And he was a murderer from the beginning. <laughs> Back, yep, Cain and Abel. <laughs> he had murdered from the beginning. I send unto you the prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, some ye shall scourge in your synagogues. We've just talked about Stephen and others. They, they kill, um, who was it first they killed? Um, they next killed James, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. And then they went after Peter, didn't they? Locked him up and they went to take him and he'd already gotten out. The angel had delivered him. And you read through the book of Acts, you have the occasions where this, these things happened. And you will persecute them from city to city. What did they do? Paul got saved, as we know. Saul got saved and be, he became Paul. But... <clears throat> When he went to preach from city to city, what were they doing? They were jumping ahead of him, trying to stop this sect, trying to stop it. And um, <clears throat> it could be in our day that they'll start doing this to us, to try to stop us. I can see the writing on the wall. Buddy Smith said 40 years ago the writing was on the wall. Well, it's, it's a lot bigger now <laughs> and a lot clearer to see. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed from upon the earth. From the blood of who? Righteous Abel. That's the first murder. And the blood of Zechariah, the son of Bacariah, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. So the Lord described them. In their virulent conduct and their vile character, he pointed out to them. Spiritual descendants of old Cain. The Lord damned them in verse 33 to 35. They were destined for hell and he told them that hell there is Gehenna. If they refused God's way of escape, of salvation, that's where they destined for. There was no escape once there. And the blood of Christ, the means of grace, they rejected. Their terrible activity is revealed there in verse 34. I don't know if all this is in the outline there, what I put in. And the Lord, <coughs> he had told them so. Prophets, apostles, they killed them as well. I jumped ahead of myself and read all that. <laughs> scourged from city to city, and all this would come upon them. Um, <coughs> They treated them very shamefully. I've got many verses. We haven't time. We run out of time. But the parable of the householder in Matthew 21 that we've already been through and the husbandman, he sent unto them servants. He sent more servants and they treated them shamefully. They killed the son and take, let's take possession of his kingdom. And the terrible <clears throat> accountability revealed in verse 35 and then verse 36. Their blood cries for the vengeance of God upon them. And that's what the Lord will do to the last big super church, the world church. And he will destroy it in Revelation 17 that we've seen in the morning service some months ago. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus was saying, if the guilt of all the innocent blood shed from Abel, to Zechariah, the first and the last, were heaped on the heads of all the murderers. The murders and massacres of Old Testament would be less than the guilt of the blood that they were about to shed. The blood 
of the very Son of God that come to be the Saviour of the world, their Messiah. That's what he's saying here. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. In one sense, they were, they were doing the devil's work, but in another sense, the Lord allowed this to happen so that the blood, the righteous blood of the Lord Jesus would be shed for the covering of our sins. You know, they meant it for evil, but God was intending to bring out of this terrible situation in the shedding of his son's blood, the salvation for all mankind. <clears throat> the way God can turn a bad situation and a bad, bad attitude and bad heart of these people around. Now, who killed Jesus? Good. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> did the Jews? Yep. Crucify him, crucify him. His blood be on us and our children. Did the Romans? Yep. They did the deed. Did we? Yep. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So let's not be those who, oh, well, the Jews did it. You see, they, Jews call us Christian, uh, Jew, they call Christians Jew killers. Some people in denominations call Jews Christ killers. But we're all in this. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of slaying the Son of God because we sinned. And the only way to cover our sin is through the blood of Christ. <coughs> and so this doom and damnation come upon this generation. The Lord spoke about about 30, about 40 years after this, or a little bit less, and they were scattered over the face of the world. The the generation today I think is the generation that doom is going to come upon them for their rejection of the way that God has provided all the warnings, all these warnings are, are not spoken I'd, I'd wonder if I talked if you went and talked to a liberal preacher or pastor of a liberal church or an apostate church, what do these verses mean what are they saying, what would they explain it like, how would they get around these things that are so plainly put in scripture They'd have some way of getting around it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you for the warning. Thank you for the woes. Lord, every one of us are accountable to you. The only way we become righteous in your sight is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the finished work, turning 180 degrees in repentance, which is not a work. Believing what already has been done and saying, Lord, I am a sinner. And turning like the prodigal son back to you. In my father's house, the servants are better fed than me. I will go and I will repent, I will say, and turn back home. Lord, may many people get saved before you come, that they might be a part of the bride of Christ, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, may we never be accused of garnishing the sepulchres. May we never be accused of being full of dead men's bones and rottenness. Lord, may we never have these woes upon us in our personal lives because we think we are somebody when we ought to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and, and just let you do the work through us for your glory and honour. Bless us as we part now in Jesus' name. Amen.